Okay, well, if you haven't already turned there, uh, please turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to read verse 46 to 49. Um, and if you can stand with me, we'll read together. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the river burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation, and the river burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, I just pray today that your spirit can guide me, and uh, you can prepare our hearts for your truth, and I pray that your truth can, can pierce us, can move us past our emotional hurts or pains that may be um, keeping us from hearing what you have to say to us. And I pray today that we can walk away with a deeper understanding of you and how to relate to you and other people and, and how to love you on a deeper level. In your name, amen. Okay, so I've been fortunate enough to do this a second time in a row. So the kinks are work out, so it's going to be perfect. So, praise be to God for that. So in our passage today, I just want to take a few steps back um, before verse 46, just to give us a little running start into what Jesus is doing. And if you start back in verse 12 of chapter 6, we start to see there that Jesus has chosen his 12 disciples now, his, his inner 12, out of his larger group of, of disciples, which we see there is a group in verse 17. Uh, it says there's a great multitude of his disciples and a great throng of people there, all from Judea, Jerusalem, the region of Tyre and Sidon. So there's a large group of people here. Jesus has chosen his 12. And in 18 there, it tells us that they, these people have come to hear him and they have come to be healed uh, from their diseases and be uh, cured from any unclean spirits uh, that are there as well. And now Jesus in verse 20 is about to begin his uh, well-known Beatitude sermon. In this uh, sermon he gives to the people, he's teaching them what it's like to live in his kingdom now and also the kinds of people that would inherit a kingdom like this. For example, in verse 20, he says, Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Some behaviors that Jesus talks about are in verse 28, or sorry, in verse 27, he says, I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And later on, he talks about judging other people's, about looking at the log in your eye before you look at the speck in your brother's. And he starts to create this understanding of behavior and what it's like to live in his kingdom and what it's like to live under his kingship. So, it only makes sense now that in verse 46, Jesus would challenge them now with this question. 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I do? See, here Jesus is describing a person that claims that Jesus is Lord of their life, but does not do what he commands. And here, Jesus is also telling us that there is an expectation of obedience when you claim him as Lord. When he says, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I do? And that's because he's expecting you to be obedient when you make that claim. Now, I know sometimes in the, in the Bible there are different um, words for Lord. So Lord can sometimes mean sir. So if someone said, uh, thank you, sir, or thank you, Lord, I don't think that that word is being used here. And I'll give you an example of um, the word Lord here. The same word is used in another passage in Matthew 6, 24. And I'll pull that up for you so you can see that. So Matthew 6, 24 reads, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So just like our passage here, Matthew is using the same word uh, for Lord as master. <coughs> Meaning, you can't have two masters. You can't have two lords. You can't wake up one day and have two things that are driving all the choices of your life. And um, Jesus is saying, when you make that claim as me as your Lord, there's an expectation of what that looks like in following my commandments. Jesus also puts this in a more relational way in John chapter 14. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So again, this isn't necessarily about this do's and don'ts list and this ability to just check things off and say, I have done what Jesus has asked. He's also putting it on a relational level as well. Because to Jesus, it's not enough just to give lip service, but he wants your life service. He wants every category of your life, not just to claim that he, you belong to him and that he's the center of your life, but that your life reflects that with his commandments. So if we're going to claim that Jesus is Lord, there are two things we must do. Jesus tells us that in verse 47. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show them who he is like. So there we see two things. One, you must hear his words. And two, you must act on them. The first thing I want to bring up is Jesus doesn't describe uh, the amount of things that you have to know. So he does not put a caveat on how many commandments you must know, how little you must know. He does not put any weight on uh, whether you know 50 or you only know 10. The importance here is the claim and the obedience to that claim and what you've heard of Jesus' commandments. And the reality that we together as a community will experience now is that when we have people with different lengths of walks, so you have some people that have maybe been walking with Jesus for 25 years, that's going to look much different. They're going to know many more commands 
and their life will look different than someone that's maybe only been a Christian for 10 months. <clears throat> but Jesus is saying that doesn't matter. What he's saying is, from what you've heard of me, and you act on that, that is what claims me Lord in your life. I also understand that a reality we live in is that sometimes what Jesus asks us to do can be difficult. And things like our personalities or even the types of homes we've grown up in can also play a, a part in how we experience uh, living out Jesus' commandments. So for example, if you lived in a home where uh, money was tight, uh, maybe your family was in debt, it, they would not, they would less likely show you how easy it is to be generous with your finances. So now when you grow up and you're living for Jesus, Jesus asks you to be generous with your money, it may be much more difficult for you to do that. Or how about a home where you had to earn your forgiveness when you made mistakes? This would also make it very difficult for as you get older and Christ takes a hold of your life to live under that commandment and express the forgiveness that Jesus has also expressed. But again, Jesus is not putting a caveat on how hard something is or how easy. All he's asking you to do is hear my words and do according to them. And that makes me Lord in your life. So, if we are to live a life of obedience to Jesus, not only does this line up with our claim, but we are also saying, or sorry, not only does this line up with the claim that we are saying, but Jesus also makes a promise to us when we do that. And we see that in verse 48. Verse 48 reads, He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the river burst against it, and the house did not shake because it had been was so well built. <clears throat> so Jesus is making a promise to us that our faith can be the foundation that this guy has laid, this man. His commandments allow us to build a faith, a foundation, that when crisis hits, it does not fall. And notice here, the man himself is responsible for his faith or foundation. His church is not responsible for that. His family, his spouse, he is responsible. God is not responsible. It doesn't say here that Jesus builds it for him. Using Jesus' words, this man builds his faith on his commandments. There are two examples I want to share with you today about what it can look like if we were to fully embrace what Jesus is talking about here and two people or groups of people that did that and what that looked like in their life and how that applied for them. The first example I want to use is in Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> Acts 
So in Acts chapter 5, it starts in verse 17. Um, but uh, basically we have the apostles. They get thrown in jail because they're um, teaching and, and doing miracles in the temple. And so they get thrown in jail. And then later on an angel of the Lord comes to them, breaks them out, and tells them to keep doing what they're doing. Continue with what you're doing. And so they do. They listen. They've been given a command after what's been happened to them, and they continue on. And we get to verse 28 now, and the authorities have come, taken them again, and have now taken to the courts. And so they say to them there in 28, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. So right here is their moment of crisis where they have an option to choose what God and what Jesus has asked them to do and what the authorities are telling them. And now we get to see how that pays off in their life based on the choice that they make next. So they continue on. They push forward. They they t teach more about Jesus. And then we see what happens in verse uh, 40. It says there, And they took his advice, and after calling the apostles, and they flogged them, and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus, and they released them. <clears throat> and so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So this is a massive expression of what is possible when we live a life that is obedient to Christ. And how that changes our perspective when it comes to experiencing crisis. So these men were able to rejoice in the fact that they were just physically abused for Christ's name. And they were so celebrating the fact they could suffer in his name, for his name. Second example is in Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> so here we have a group of Hebrew people here that are being persecuted for their faith. And 33 and 34 read like this. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you have showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizures of your property knowing that you have yourself a better possession and an abiding one. Again, another example of how persecution can enter, a crisis is happening. They have the command to stand up for Jesus and, and what he represents, regardless of the consequences that lay before them. And they joyfully allow the Caesar, it's, I love this word, he says, and accepted joyfully the seizure of their home. That's pretty powerful. I know for a lot of us, we've worked really hard for what we have today. And to 
have that all taken away in one moment is it's hard to feel like you'd be at a place where you could joyfully allow and joyfully accept something like that happening. But one of the encouraging things I find with these two examples that I didn't feel like this before I started this passage today. <coughs> I've always kind of heard these passages before and personally I kind of felt like that level of faith was almost unattainable. Like, I couldn't actually picture myself being physically harmed for the sake of Christ and leaving celebrating that. I felt like that would have been a really hard place to be. And also the same place where I could imagine my property and things that I own just joyfully and accepting the fact that they were being removed from me and taken for Christ's sake. But Jesus encourages us here and says, um, that this is attainable. Because if you live a life that reflects all his commandments, your foundation will not be shaken. Your faith will not be shaken when crisis hits. And these guys show what that can look like when you take responsibility and you take Jesus' commandments to the fullness that he has for you. So back to our passage in Luke chapter 6. We see here in verse 49, <coughs> Jesus is summarizing the essence of hypocrisy. There he says, But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation, and the river burst against it immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. So this is the opposite of what we just talked about. This is a person that is claiming that Jesus is Lord of their life with their lips. But when it comes to doing Jesus' commandments in their life, they care much less about. And because of those actions, they suffer the consequences of what happens when crisis hits their faith. When crisis hits their face, faith, their house ruin is great. And one key observation I don't want you to miss out of this. What helps us see the difference between these two men? See, if I took their two homes and I placed them in front of us, we couldn't tell if they had a foundation. You can't see. It's underground. You can't tell. But what separates the two men is what happens when crisis hits. This ultimately shows us whether or not you have a committed life into what Jesus has commanded you, and He actually is Lord that you claim that He is in your life. The consequences are much larger for the person that claims, but does not live a life that reflects that claim. <coughs> so for us today, we can ask ourselves, are there areas in our lives where we have not allowed Jesus to be Lord? Are there choices that he's asked us to make or commands that we know that may be difficult, but we have chosen not to obey? 
But I think if we can take those choices and trust that Jesus' way is what's best for us, he promises us a strong faith, a faith that will not shake when crisis hits, if we obey. Jesus is not going to inject you with this faith. It's you taking that step, following his commandments, and Jesus says, through my commandments, your foundation and your faith will be strong. So I'll leave you with one, a one-liner. It kind of sums it all up. Maybe it's something you can grab and, and leave with and remember today. It goes like this. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, is he really Lord at all? If Jesus isn't Lord of all, is he really Lord at all? So Jesus cares about us. He cares about our lives. He doesn't just want you to claim that he's Lord. He wants you to show it. And not only by showing that, we'll reap the benefits of a deeper relationship with Jesus, but also a faith that is unwavering. So I have two lessons today. And uh, I'm sure there's many more, but we'll start with these and uh, see what you guys come up with in the discussion. Lesson one. From Jesus' perspective, we are responsible for building our faith in Christ. For me, um, this was part of what drove me with this passage. Um, Christ is talking to us about how following his commandments helps us build this foundation, this faith in him. And as I was saying to the previous group, I feel like when in the past, when people have said, oh, you need to have a Christ-centered life, or Christ is your foundation, it was like this Christianese that was just told us, and we didn't really know how to do that, or what that looked like, or what that even meant. And I feel like Jesus here gives us a very clear picture on what it looks like to make that foundation built upon his commandments. And it makes it much easier to uh, be assured that I have a, or we have a foundation that is based upon his commandments. Number two. From Jesus' perspective, in order for him to be Lord in your life, you must walk in obedience his commands. Oh, sorry. I was on my page. Evidence that Jesus is Lord in your life is obedience to his commands. <coughs> so Jesus, again, makes it clear that when crisis hits, it's going to show whether or not you've done the things in your life that reflect an obedient Foundation, obedient faith that Jesus asks of us. And in order for Jesus to be born in your life, like he says, you have to do what he says. <clears throat>